Support for WMSE comes from Finks, located at the corner of Water and Humboldt. Open weekdays at 4 p.m. and weekends at 2 p.m., Finks offers a drink menu featuring craft beers and cocktails. Finks has multiple pinball machines and ample bike parking. More information about Finks at facebook.com slash F-I-N-K-S-M-K-E. Here on WMSE 91.7 FM, I'm Ryan Schlicker, as always, joined by Evan Ritleski and Matt Wild. Welcome, guys. Good morning. Hello. Who is going to launch this show today? Uh, should we talk about, I don't know, what should we talk about? Pedestrian safety? Pedestrian safety, yeah. That's, that sounds like a really good Turn idea. up the radio, lean in a little closer. <laughs> yeah. Get the kids in the room. Here we go. <laughs> Um, this winter, the uh, the city released a big study on pedestrian safety, which I know sounds boring, and uh, I won't lie, it, it is. It was this uh, kind of big 100-page PDF with lots of colorful graphics that didn't disguise the fact it's still a huge study <laughs> on pedestrian safety. Um, and so it didn't really get all that much attention, which I sort of understand. Uh, it's really boring. Uh, and also, you don't know what they'll actually act on. It's just basically a huge bunch of recommendations. Uh, whether the, the, those recommendations are actually funded and seen through, that still remains to be seen. Uh, there is some precedent for the city uh, actually, you know, taking these studies seriously once they commissioned them. They did. Uh, they did one with uh, bikes many years ago, and many of those recommendations were eventually acted on. They, they've uh, also done certain things with street design. But when you look at, at the city, one, one thing that's like clearly true is this city is pretty terrible if you're a pedestrian, especially relative to the amount of traffic that there is. For uh, you know, not being the most crowded, congested city in, in, uh, in the country, it really can be kind of treacherous if you're uh, a pedestrian. And uh, obviously the city is trying to change that. Uh, the study touches on a lot of different things. One one thing that I think a lot of people are interested in is snow removal. Uh, typically, it's if you're trying to walk, and especially if you have accessibility issues, if you're in a wheelchair, it's pretty brutal out there uh, during the winter. So there's some recommendations on that. But the thing that interests me the most, and I think that maybe the city didn't play up as much as it could, or at least the people behind the study didn't play up as much as it could, because I see it certainly as the most pressing problem is what the study politely calls failure to yield, which is uh, basically uh, Milwaukee drivers' flagrant disregard for pedestrian crosswalks. Uh, Technically, any uh, street that has a sidewalk where sidewalks meet uh, is a crosswalk. It doesn't have to be marked with those big white bars for it to be a legal crosswalk. Even if it doesn't have those, uh, cars are supposed to be uh, yielding to pedestrians. They don't. Uh, of course, they don't yield uh, to pedestrians even in the most clearly marked crosswalks. Uh, and this study uh, puts it a, a little bit into perspective. It's got uh, a graph here uh, where they uh, analyzed yielding rates at uh, random locations throughout the city. And here's what it said. Uh, yielding rates ranged from 0 to 61%, with drivers at most locations yielding less than 33% of the time. 
that 33% is low, but uh, zero, I think, is the key number there, <laughs> which is somebody went and analyzed the yielding rates. I know where the zero rates. is. It's right outside of my work. It's right outside <laughs> of everybody's work. Yeah. But literally, can you imagine like sitting there like, all right, let's see uh, how often the cars yield, and you're just sitting there, and they literally never yield. Um, it's a really, really, really big problem. It's it's uh, quite dangerous. The study does put this in perspective, uh, looking at pedestrian safety. Uh, they analyze the most common types of crashes between uh, vehicles and pedestrians. And as you'd expect, uh, most of them involve crosswalks. Um, four of the five most frequent accidents happen at crosswalks. Uh, a lot of these are just uh, pedestrians turning left or right at a at a crosswalk and just kind of plowing through the uh, the pedestrians happen to be there. And three of the four most fatal or severe crashes happen at, at crosswalks. So again, this is pretty serious. This isn't just an inconvenience uh, for pedestrians, as I think a lot of us can attest. It's also literally a threat to pedestrians. It's the cause of, uh, frankly, a uh, cause of death that doesn't need to exist. These are preventable deaths that are happening in part because of the culture, I would argue, of our city where we just don't abide by these crosswalks at all. Um, the study is interesting. I, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on it because it's a, it's 100 pages and it's, as, as we've said many times already, it's very boring. But uh, when you look through, they, they give a bunch of suggestions for things that can be done and they, they get real in the weeds with this, as you'd expect. Uh, the uh, width of the white bars painted in the road and how frequent they should be and where they should be and different sorts of cutouts and different things you can add to call attention to crosswalks. Uh, they they go real, real deep on all that. And I'm sure there's uh, some science and studies behind the recommendations that they're making. The one thing I don't see them suggesting is actually enforcing existing traffic laws to, to motorists, which I think is probably probably the thing that would be most effective. I mean, if, if I were the person here, and again, I've got no expertise on this, saying how do we prevent these deaths? Uh, I think a real good place to start would actually be citing drivers who flagrantly disregard uh, traffic laws, uh, citing drivers who just blow through these crosswalks. Um, it would be unpopular, but you know, you put uh, you know some sort of law enforcement there and at least pull over these cars that just flagrantly uh, whiz by. Uh, you know, you, you see the most insane stuff. I work we I we work in the third ward. And I mean, you just see people with strollers trying to cross and cars just, they won't even slow down. I mean, if anything, <clears throat> your presence in the crosswalk makes them angrier and they just accelerate. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a vicious, there's like a certain element of road rage here. And uh, I get, I mean, I get honked at all the time when I'm trying to cross. It doesn't matter if I'm with an old lady, like, and this sounds like I'm making it up. I am not. <laughs> Sometimes you'll see an old, older person trying to cross the street who can't move as fast as you. So you'll like do that thing where you deliberately get in the road and sort of stall and walk slow yourself to kind of give them some cover, you know, because they're not going to step in the street. And I mean, you will get honked at so bad. Um, it's, it's a problem. I mean, it's, it's pretty scary sometimes being a pedestrian in the city, I'm not even completely sure that drivers know it's illegal to blow through these crosswalks. I don't think they so. don't. I mean, it's because they, they clearly, I mean, at least from the way they behave, they clearly act as if they're entitled to drive. The only thing they'll stop for 
is is a stop sign if you're lucky, and of, of course a stop light. Anything short of that, I mean, they are just on the gas. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of, if you remember several years back on Brady Street, I believe it was perhaps the matriarch of the Gloriosos family or one of the businesses on that street um, who was hit and killed at one of those crosswalks. Mm. And immediately they put one of those in the center of the intersection, the yield to pedestrian signs. And um, as somebody who used to drive on the road all the time at that time, it really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And I work on First Street right across from that mobile. And that's four Mm -hmm. lanes of zooming traffic, especially around rush hour. And sometimes I'm standing there for 20 minutes waiting to cross the street. Yeah. And I feel like if you just put a couple of those signs in a couple of those places, crosswalks, maybe it'd help a little bit. It, it, it does, but, but it doesn't fix the problem. But right? the other thing that because we do have that culture, you'll have one car that slows down and starts stopping mm-hmm. and all the cars behind them zooming around them to pass mm-hmm. them. So mm-hmm. like even if you start walking because somebody's slowing down, you have all these other missiles just shooting right at you it's terrifying and and what the study also touches on one thing you addressed ryan uh the this the study says the city is a little too slow to act on these best practices that they wait until there's an accident or a fatality then they make the change these are these are preventable fatalities you were asking you know do do people even know that uh you're you know legal re- legally required to uh to uh, yield and uh we both kind of said no and i agree and for the longest time uh i did not and i'm sure maybe you know a lot of people didn't know that as well it, it was just something that it i don't know if i was just uh being dense myself or it was just something that just was not drilled into my head you know for the decades i was driving of like yeah you have to stop it's not just like oh if you want to be nice you can stop and let someone go you know wave them across kind of thing and it's a state law right right yeah. and uh what what finally got it into my head uh, a number of years ago is i mean i live near uwm and uh for a while at least uwm was really cracking down on drivers that were driving through like campus mm-hmm. um because you know it's very very busy there and there's tons of students crossing all the time and uh, I remember getting pulled over a couple times and, you know, it wasn't even something super flagrant. You know, I wasn't just blasting through the middle of campus, but just, you know, I just kind of kept slowly going and didn't let someone cross. And uh, I would get pulled over. I got I remember ticketed uh, twice, like in span of like a month or so. And uh, finally, <laughs> after all of that, it kind of just drilled into my head. It's like, oh, yeah, this is a this is a thing that uh, you have to do. And it's nuts. I mean, even walking my uh, my kid to school in the morning uh, near a school, you would think would be, uh, you know, people driving in the morning near a school would be a little uh, a little have that in their head. But no, it's uh, it's it's spooky. It's scary. There's- uh, it's crazy. We've I, done a good job with um, construction zones. We People learn real we, fast you don't break traffic laws in construction zones because those are really enforced. I mean, there's signs, traffic fines, double, and understandably so. The, the workers' lives are at risk. Uh, you can change people's behavior, but you have to actually enforce it and show that's a priority. I vote. I have a, a tech-savvy coworker, and I'm all for a city shaming its it's citizens. So what he did, he lives at this intersection in Shorewood where nobody ever stops at the stop sign. Mm-hmm. They just roll right through, and there's a bunch of kids in there. So he, ha- he he set up a camera that faced the intersection and live web streamed it. There you go. <laughs> and it started to help. People yeah. were being shamed that their car is rolling through the intersection. So well, let's get a live uh, traffic cam that the city can open up at these dangerous intersections. More shaming. Just, yeah, just shame, more, more shaming than shame the lot of us. And anything we can do to actually <laughs> say this is a priority. I mean, I, I feel like it's it's a hard thing to complain about. We're also just so used to it. We just resign ourselves to it because 
the only alternative is die. <laughs> you know, you either stop at the at the uh, crosswalk and wait till it's safe, or you know, you get hit. But uh, I, I think anything we can do to sort of uh, communicate to the people in charge that eh, actually this is a very, very, very big concern. Certainly, safety hazard. When when the city. It seems like when the city makes any sort of uh, change, it almost always seems to be with uh, drivers in mind first. And I think that is changing. I think there's been some changes in some street studies, and they're actually following through with these recommendations now. You you see it certainly when you go down Fifth uh, uh, Fifth uh, Avenue, Fifth Street. Fifth Street. Then, I don't remember which one it is, but you go there and you go, oh, okay, well, this is a new, newly designed place that you know uh, thoroughfare that is comfortable for pedestrians and for drivers. This is great. But a lot of the city isn't laid out like that yet. The, the example that I always point to, of course, is uh, at the lakefront, trying to get to those museums, uh, crossing over what really looks like a freeway. Of, yeah. You know, you're going through uh, how many lanes of traffic? At least eight with turning lanes and stuff. It's impossible. And you just think, like, does the city care at all about pedestrians? Well, and I, under, I do understand some of the challenges, like particularly Walker's Point right now. It was an area that was kind of like a pass-through for such a long mm-hmm. time. There wasn't a lot of business. There wasn't a lot of going on. So, like, pedestrians were sort of an afterthought because there wasn't many of them. Um, but now that that area has built up so much with businesses, there's so much more walking traffic that you now have to rethink mm-hmm. that entire area. And, and it shouldn't take that. It shouldn't take rethinking and more businesses and more investment and development to get, you know, citizen safety as a priority. But, you know... We can also sort of understand how things change and the new challenges that arise and how they need to be executed. Mm -hmm. We got to get Jeremy from Urban Walkie on this. I mean, remember that one day he was on our show? We were outside and uh, (laughs) someone parked in the streetcar lane and he like whipped out his phone and camera and started snapping pictures of the license plate. He was on top of that, man. Get him on this. Let's get him on the horn. He's great. He's great. If you're just tuning in, this is the disclaimer here on WMSC. Matt, Evan, Ryan. Uh, well, should we move on to? Yeah, let's move on. Let's move you on. You can find uh, the study online if you're looking for it. It is worth scrolling through if you think it might interest you. You mentioned uh, snow plowing, so real brief. Maybe we can do some uh, real brief updates of things we have talked about. Uh, speaking of snow plowing, that the uh, Common Council did unanimously approve a measure to uh, utilize retired drivers uh, for future snowplow operations. That was something we had talked about some time ago. Uh, just in time, of course, for the snowy season that we have up ahead of us. <laughs> and um, I think we, we kind of talked about it a little last week, but the, the, the big food truck ban that uh, Alderman Donovan had introduced was uh, he came to a, a, a friendly resolution. Uh, he uh, worked it out with all the parties involved, and there was a, a big rally. Was it Friday night? And mm-hmm. uh, just, just hours before the rally, uh, he hammered out some details. And so uh, food trucks are... Uh, welcome, or apparently the one food truck that was kind of singled out in this whole thing was uh, now welcome back on National Let, let that, this, this story, we don't get into the whole thing, yeah. but let the story be a lesson for activists and organizers That's in the exactly city. What I was say. A yeah, little bit of action goes a long way. The gist of the story is Donovan passed this ban uh, unanimously through the Common Council. Nobody even really opposed it. It just didn't get a big, you know, a lot of coverage because it's about taco trucks. Nobody was paying attention. Uh, the community pushed back. They didn't like the optics of it. They didn't like the way the band seemed to single out just one taco truck owner. They just, nothing about it made sense to them and they made a stink about it. And uh, Donovan backed down. It went, this ban went from being uh, unanimously passed by the Common Council, which shows you something about how the Common Council works. <laughs> if a trusted veteran member of the Common Council makes a proposal, you, you can often get it through. A uh, little bit of scrutiny, 
you know, just a couple weeks later, this ban was killed unanimously by the Common Council. Mayor Barrett uh, vetoed the ban and the uh, Common Council voted unanimously to uphold that veto. So it, it shows how fast public opinion can turn. Uh, the organizers were, you know, promising, and I don't doubt they were going to do it, to really blow up Donovan's phones, to really write into his office, to really put the pressure on all members of the council uh, to say, hey, this matters. We're paying attention. And I hate to bring it back to this, but another thing we've talk, talked about is the dwindling newspaper industry. And it's just these are the kind of stories that so often get overlooked uh, that used to be covered in the city pages all the time. And thank goodness we do have a couple online outlets picking up some slack. But uh, just the resources that need to go into getting reporters out on the ground and talking to people and and making these stories public so that you know people actually know about it and can 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 organize and and push back you yeah. know well, just... well one one thing that worked in this is sort of a fluky story because one thing that worked in the organizer's favor here and I, I spoke to the organizer behind this is the fact that it's about tacos and people really like tacos so there's this sort of like fun element to it yeah. like tacos are fun to think about they're fun to eat they're there was going to be tacos at the rally on friday and it's like well yeah people come out for tacos and he he so you know openly acknowledged like it's kind of silly it's kind of seems kind of inconsequential but the fact that it was about something fun worked in its favor when it's about something a lot drier it's harder for media outlets to get coverage about it you can you can blog about it but it's just not going to be as widely shared because it's it doesn't have that same warm emotional response that tacos do and that doesn't just tie into our public safety conversation too because it wasn't like one of the original reasons um, that it was creating traffic log uh, jams in that one location. It was hard, you know, it goes down to one lane because the taco truck mm-hmm. is there and is causing drivers all sorts of hassle. Like, mm-hmm. this was a decision that, you know, helps the pedestrian and helps the business owner as well. So mm-hmm. maybe we are moving forward a little bit. There you go. Only when people organize and make a stink. <laughs> Power to the people. Um, what uh, I, I wanted to briefly give a, uh, a little bit of an extended shout out here to a a local business, which is uh, celebrating its 10th anniversary in a few days, and uh, it's a business that has uh, been uh, just uh, uh, an icon. Uh, it's just been there on Downer Avenue uh, for so long, and it's such a, an incredible business and such a Milwaukee institution. I'm um, speaking of Boswell Book Company. Uh, for folks who have been kicking around town for a few years, you may remember Boswell kind of rose from the ashes of uh, Harry Schwartz Booksellers, which was a Milwaukee institution for many, many, many years, and uh, kind of a victim of the, I don't know, early aughts, uh, kind of, you know, technology and ebooks and everything and uh, bookstores dying. And from that, uh, one of uh, former Schwartz employee, and uh, I don't, he held many job titles he over the years. He was the primary buyer. Uh, Daniel Golden. Uh, he uh, started Boswell in the uh, downer location of Schwartz and uh, has been going strong ever since. It's been 10 years. He'll celebrate uh, 10 years, uh, April 3rd, I believe. And uh, I don't know. It, it's just such – and he gets uh, – and everyone at Boswell uh, gets, uh, I think, a lot of great press. And it's all very, very well-deserved. Uh, if you walk into their uh, – Kind of at night, you're you're likely to run into an author event. There's uh, there's speakers, there's readings, uh, there's I think that's uh, really a lot of their bread and butter. Uh, and Daniel and the staff there does an incredible job. It's it's just uh, he uh, himself is just I think such a terrific guy, such a just uh, the real deal. 
willing to try a lot of different things. Uh, I know this because he's been willing to work with me over the years. And if you're willing to work with me or Milwaukee Record, I know that uh, you're definitely up for uh, <laughs> trying anything. And uh, uh, he's just a terrific guy. And uh, that uh, that place is just absolutely terrific. Uh, the, the, all the uh, kind of staff recommendations are amazing. Uh, they carry a lot of local Milwaukee books and authors. And, uh, you know, in a time when, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think the whole ebook thing is kind of plateaued, but, uh, you know, he uh, and Boswell have just uh, just been doing so, so well there in that location and uh, very humble about it and uh, just a, a terrific guy and a terrific organization. I can't say enough nice things about that. So uh, I don't Pro- know. Props for the business acumen, too. I remember when he took it over, my first thought was, hey, this is great. And, oh, no, is this going to actually work? Uh, you know, taking over from a failed business and making it a successful business is really, really hard to do. And yeah, I mean, he, he made it work. The place is wonderful. I can vouch for the book clubs. I've been a member of uh, several of them, only for a book or two. Never never really stuck. But if you're looking for a book club, they've got a whole bunch of interesting ones. So yeah, check it out. Yeah, this one is, uh, means a lot to me. One, because I worked there when it was Downer. Um, and I've known Daniel for 20 years now. Um, but a little background, Daniel was the primary buyer for all of the Schwartz stores when there was, I think at most there were six, Racine, Bayview, mm-hmm. Brookfield. Anyway, um, so he, any, every book in the store was basically ordered by Daniel from a publisher or distributor. I mean, some certain employees had some ability to order books that they wanted in the store, but not all of them. Um, but he was, that, that, that's a, a tall task to make sure the inventory at six different bookstores is is well suited to each store. So um, when he took over that store, uh, it was it was wonderful. To, at least something was being carried on from the Schwartz days. And I actually currently work for the last remaining part of the Harry Schwartz bookstores now. Uh, we were a sister store to them, and when they shut down, we kept going. Um, so I'm, and it's still owned by the Schwartz family, Rebecca and uh, David Schwartz uh, widow Carol Grossmeyer. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful family business, but it's just amazing. I think what Daniel did so right, right from the get go and was even sort of a model for a lot of independent bookstores nationwide was really make it the center of a community. Um, instead of just throwing the, the most popular or the most, you know, you could, you could put uh mysteries, mass market paperbacks in the window and get good traffic because people, they're cheap and people buy them, but he really, made that store a welcome place for all curious people and um you really feel like you're part of something when you go there yeah it it feels i mean i live literally right around the corner from uh boswell and it just it it's such a uh uh a steady place in my life and it it's one of those uh places one of just a handful of places not that you know of course we all support milwaukee businesses and we do that every day but uh boswell is one of those places where i make a, a very very concerted effort to like to think to myself, oh, I haven't been in there in a month. I need to go in there and spend money. Like I may not need, you know, three more books, or I may not need to drop fifty bucks. Uh, but I was like, I got, I, I got to go over there and and you know, spend some money. I need to support this place. It's it, it's one of those places. So. It's kind of like the, where independent bookstores are now is very similar to record stores. Like an Acme Records mm-hmm. can exist in a successful way. You're never gonna. It's not gonna make you a millionaire. Um, but you know the way that Amazon took over independent bookstores, and actually Barnes and Noble before that put a lot of businesses out in Borders, 
and now those businesses are pretty much out the window with Amazon, you can still have your niche. You can still sell to a dedicated readership and print sales are strong. The e-books are declining. Um, Oh, they are? Yeah, pretty much. They've they've pretty much plateaued and sometimes are declining a little. I don't think there's a whole lot... Of room for growth in the ebook world, but yeah, just the idea. I could talk I've, about this. For and, and this makes me sound like an old man, but just the idea of wanting to spend more time in front of a screen, like so much of my day is already in front of a computer or in front of an iPhone. The idea of for recreational time putting another screen right at my eyes, I just couldn't do it. Well, and also the the books are uh, an incredibly popular gift, mm-hmm. both uh, in a personal one on one level, but also on a corporate level, and nobody wants to receive. Uh, a code to download mm-hmm. something as a gift. It's very impersonal. You, it requires effort to do something, to take an action. But if somebody hands you a book, you're like, oh, it's something, something real yeah. <laughs> in my hands yeah. that you just gave me. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate them more as a gift buyer than a gift giver. I just enjoy that there's something easy you can get when you can't think of anything else. But yeah, congratulations to uh, to Boswell in 10 years. I know there's a, a nice piece in the journal about Daniel and uh, Boswell today, I think there's one in the Shepherd this week as well that I saw. So uh, congrats to them. And uh, I, in kind of uh, typical style, they're not really doing anything, uh, you know, big for their 10th anniversary. They're just having like just their regular schedule, you know, author reading that night. And uh, that's wonderful. And I believe the actual anniversary is April 3rd. So mm. if you know Daniel and you want to stop in and give him, give him a pat on the back. All the, all the weapon. There you go. Book. We have about uh, four minutes left. What do we got? So let's turn real quick to some festivals, uh, summer festivals. Season is coming up soon. Maybe not soon enough, but soon. Uh, and we've got uh, some good news and some bad news, unfortunately. The good news is that Black Arts Fest MKE will be back for its second year. Uh, If you were lucky enough to go last summer, you know this is a wonderful event. It's sort of picking up uh, where the old African World Festival left off. The African World Festival stopped running after kind of an off-and-on tenure in uh, 2013. There hadn't been anything else to sort of fill that void. And Black Arts Fest came, and it was wonderful. The the painting displays were awesome. The music was awesome. The food was awesome. Uh, Helped that it was great weather for its first year, so that, that was good. Uh, and this year, it will be back for its second year, uh, Saturday, August 3rd at the Summerfest Grounds. Uh, they've announced one headliner. It's uh, SWV, which is awesome. Uh, so yeah, hopefully it's a sunny day where you get to sit outside and look at art and then listen to SWV. Very, very, very excited about that. Highly recommend that. Well, where festival. is that located? That's the Summerfest Grounds. Okay. And right now, it's only one day, uh, which is a good place to start the ambition there is that gradually it will expand. It would be nice if it became a weekend-long event uh, the way some of these other festivals are, but that realistically that's going to be a long way away uh, because it's hard to run a weekend-long festival. It uh, requires a lot of capital and a lot of volunteers, and that is why, and this is the sad part of the news here, this is why uh, this month Indian Summer announced that it won't be returning after 32 years um, uh, the festival announced that it will not be held as it is currently known. Uh, they write in a press release on Facebook, as a nonprofit, all-volunteer organization, it has become increasingly difficult to meet expenses associated with producing a large festival. Uh, this is heartbreaking. The good news is uh, a lot of the events that they had there, the uh, the, the big powwow, which was huge, uh, the boxing competition, mm-hmm. the lacrosse games, uh, some of the cultural displays, that will continue to exist in some form, but it remains to be seen. They're just kind of figuring out where things will go. 
Um, this is a really bummer. The Indian summer was uh, one of my favorites. Um, it had a lot going on. First of all, it was in the fall, and it was a chance to enjoy that fall weather. Uh, awesome food. You can't get anywhere else, really, in the city. The uh, fry bread, all that. It was also um, kind of in a change of pace from the other festivals. It didn't serve beer, at least on most of the grounds. It mm. was one of the like few true dry festivals in the city where everything seems to just be all about plastic cups of beer. Um, it was kind of nice having one festival that didn't do that, that was a little more family-friendly. Um, also just an important you know, way to uh, pay homage to an important culture, an important part of uh, Wisconsin and Milwaukee heritage. I remember as a kid, I, I remember going as like a, the first field trip of the year, you know, when I was in school would often be like a trip to Indian summer and you'd sit there and speak with an elder. And it was just, it was great. I mean, it just really filled an educational need and a recreational need. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to miss it a lot. I think, um, you know, you mentioned that all of these festivals uh, really depend on volunteers and that's absolutely true. And I think Sometimes we're spoiled by Summerfest, which is, you know, seems like just this huge monolithic thing that just, you know, uh, just wills itself into existence mm-hmm. every year. But uh, having worked with some of these smaller festivals, uh, sometimes it's kind of shocking, like how ragtag uh, they are and like just how they're barely pulling this off every year uh, with people and money and stuff like that. It's it's, it's surprising. Some of even the uh, kind of larger "Quote unquote ethnic festivals." Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 amazing they get off the ground every year. So yeah, it, they're, it's they're glorified really... church events. I mean, <laughs> but that just happen to take place at a huge campus mm-hmm. for three or four days. It's an incredible amount of work, and you're, you're totally right, Matt. I think part of the challenge for these festivals is it's really hard to compete with the footprint of Summerfest. You know, on any given night, Summerfest is bringing in a dozen big, bold-name headliners. And some of these festivals are lucky if they get, you know, one or two over the course of the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it, it's it's a it's a big challenge. At the end of the year, there's always a little bit of festival, uh, festival fatigue as well. You know, people have been to so many. There's a lot of competition out there. It's, it's tricky. And it's a lot of competition for sponsorship dollars. I mean, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. especially coming at the end of a summer when all the Milwaukee's big companies have been sponsoring for the entire summer. And I just wonder how much some of the smaller growing festivals are impacting the ability for some of these legacy festivals to fundraise and, and get sponsorship. And I have no information about this whatsoever, but it's a, a, certainly a question worth asking. Mm-hmm. I think that does it for today's shows. Any last thoughts, guys? Uh, go Brewers opening day tomorrow. Yes. Don't drive like a jerk. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Take the bus. Take the bus to Miller Park. All right, that does it for this week's Disclaimer. We're here most Wednesdays at noon. I'm Ryan Schleicher. You can find more from Evan Ritleski at Shepherd Express, Matt's at MilwaukeeRecord.com. You can download every single episode uh, from the WMSC archives or subscribe to the uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to Solo for the theme song. Find us, yell at us, talk to us on Facebook. Until next week, thanks for tuning in to the number one cultural talk radio show here on WMSE. We're making history. This is important. Stick a tune for music from Sid right after this message from our longtime pals at Finks.